Welcome back to the Obsessed Podcast. I'm about to place a call to New York City to speak with casting director Jen Rudin. Her short film, Lucy in the Sky, is nominated for a 2019 Ardios Award in the short film category. Now, Jen is no stranger to the Ardios Awards, but this nomination is a bit more personal since she not only cast the film, she also wrote and produced it. So it's quite an accomplishment. I don't know what time it is in New York. I don't even know if we still have daylight savings. But here goes nothing. This is Obsessed with casting director Jen Rudin. Normally we ask people who are nominated for an RDOs in casting how they came to the project or the project came to them. But I see that you are also the writer and the executive producer, as well as casting. So how did you come up with the idea for this short film, and what's it about? Sure. So Lucy in the Sky is a short film about a teen girl with autism who goes back to mainstream high school and the effects of this uh, transition to school on her entire family. So it's a short film. It's also a standalone. It's a standalone short, and it's also a proof of concept for a full TV series. And it's ironic because yes, I cast the movie, but I also wrote the script during my time at NYU when I was getting an MFA in dramatic writing. And you so said that you I wear went, many hats. You went, yeah, you do. You went back to school. You were already casting. You had a career in casting, <laughs> and then decided to go back for your MFA. That is correct. So, yes, I've spent my career as a casting director. First, I was a professional child actor in New York in the 80s. So I've actually been in show business since the age of eight. So I auditioned from age eight to 17 professionally, but always knew that I wanted to be a casting director and be on the other side of the table. Um, The way I ended up in grad school is because uh, HarperCollins published my book, Confessions of a Casting Director, in 2013, and you can find it on Amazon and at jenrudin.com. And when I was writing the book, it reminded me about my passion for writing and how I'd never actually pursued it because I've been so busy being a casting director. So I applied to the MFA Dramatic Writing Program at NYU and went to grad school and still had my company um, for wow. two years. And so Lucy in the Sky was a project that I worked on while I was at NYU. And the full TV script, the full TV pilot of Lucy and the series Bible won a Alfred P. Sloan Foundation Writing Award. So we got some grant money there. And it also won an award from the Will and Jada Smith Family Foundation. So I decided to make a standalone short. Uh, that could serve as proof of concept for the full series. And that's how I got started making the short film. And of course, I knew I would be the casting director because that is also my passion. And I'm so proud of our cast. I'm so proud of this cast. So it's it's really bittersweet to be nominated for a film that you actually wrote and exec produced and raised the money for. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. um, It's really bittersweet. And I've been, I've won three RDOs nominations. Mm. I think I've won three, two or three, Chicken Little and the Princess and the Frog, and I've been nominated a bunch of times. But this year, no matter what happens with the awards, I'm just so happy to be recognized for the film. Yeah, obviously you're so invested in it more than anybody else. (laughs) What was that like casting something that you poured your heart and you created it? Did you create it with specific 
actors in mind to play these parts eventually, or did you just go right for the character and then find actors to to fit in them in those slots? So- Obviously, the most crucial role is Lucy because she is she has a twin sister, Rachel. Rachel is not on the autism spectrum, but Lucy is. Mm-hmm. So, um, thanks to technology and breakdown services and EcoCast, I managed to be able to watch many, many, many young actors uh, who had put themselves on tape for Lucy and Rachel, and many of the girls read for both. And so, while we were casting those roles we had this idea that one actress could play both sisters. Mm. But then we realized from a budget perspective, it was it was going to really double the days, and we really only had a three- or four-day shoot planned. So it was really a joy to watch so many young actors in New York and actually around the country who I've known as a casting director since they were young, young, like six, seven, eight, who are now 13, 14, 15, 16, um, read the role. So I really watched every single tape. I had, I want to say... I mean, thousands, like any, like any project. And um, so first we, we had girls self-tape for those roles and then for the little brother. Um, but then actually um, Whoopi Goldberg was our first actor to come on board, and she plays the drama teacher at the high school. And after Whoopi came on board, I made an offer to Kathy Curtin, to Catherine Curtin to play the mom, Danny Burstein to play Lucy's father. Um, and Kelly Hu from um, the Scorpion King plays Dr. Susan, the psychiatrist. So the next thing I knew, I had I had my cast. You had a terrific and, cast. Um, thank you. And a lot of it is about availability. So Kelly Hu happened to be in New York shooting Dietland, and so we just extended her stay, and suddenly we had three confirmed shoot dates, and Catherine Curtin's phenomenal agent, Ben Sands at Stone Manors, went out of his way to rearrange all of her shoot dates with... Um, uh, Homeland and Insecure mm-hmm. and made it work to be in our movie. And Danny Burstein was, happened to be available and he lives close by. So it was really exciting. The crazy thing about the kids is that Zoe Coletti, who plays Lucy, is her star is completely on the rise. She just starred in uh, Guillermo del Toro's new film, Isabella Russo, who plays the the mean girl Annabelle, booked a pilot literally the day after we finished shooting. And Quinn McCoglin, who plays Lucy's sister Rachel, has been in movies with um, Liam Neeson and Kate Blanchett. So I had like the best of the best in terms of my kids. And um, and everyone's busy. So the yeah. fact that, that, you know, part of casting, I think the secret to casting sometimes is that it's really about timing. It's great to have actors that you want to have in your project, but at the end of the day, it's really about availability and timing, and it, it just happened that the stars aligned and everybody happened to be available for this uh, weekend in January, and we filmed it and, and did it. So as the writer, executive producer, and the person who put together the cast, I'm curious to find out if you sat in on the editing sessions or you just had your fingers crossed and wanted to wait until you saw everything put together. Sure. So I let my editor and director work together and get their groove and figure out what to do. And then when they had a rough assembly, first assembly, as my director, Bertha Besapan, called it, when she had the first assembly complete with our editor, I went upstairs and I, I watched and, and I would watch the cuts. But the truth is, it's not that's I'm not a director and I'm not a filmmaker. I'm just a casting director and a writer and an executive producer. So the way that they went through everything to try to find these amazing takes, I left it up to them. I didn't want to hover. and um, But I would say that watching some of the takes, 
and being on set, it's so fascinating because in casting, you, you're just hoping that the actor walks into your room and can do give you a beautiful performance and also be flexible for direction and, and do a different take because, you know, as I always say to actors, if they can't follow direction in the casting director's audition room, there's no way you can get to set because we can't endorse you to go to set if you don't follow our directions. Right. And when I was on set with my wonderful actors, watching how they had the focus and attention to do these takes over and over, it's so impressive and really difficult. And do you think that will inform your casting moving forward, having seen how the performance can change from the room to the set and whether you're giving direction or the director's giving direction? Um, I think... I think auditions are really tough and it's a very difficult, it's, it's some, an actor I recently met said there's acting on, on set and there's acting in the audition room and they're very different kinds of acting. So obviously when you're on set, you already have the job and you're hoping to keep the job and you've got a thousand people around you holding up, you know, microphones and you've got the hair and makeup people near you and you have to act, you know, in the middle of this huge public space. And the audition really is about you and the casting director or you and the director and the casting director in the room. So, um, so it's, it's, it's different. You can't move that much in an mm-hmm. audition, certainly not for film and TV. Your feet have to be planted. We have the camera on you. There's not a lot you can do. You have to tell a story with your eyes. And obviously, once you're on set, all of that opens up and you can move and there's blocking and there's more than just the camera close up on you, but there, it's just, they're different worlds. But if you do great in the audition room and you follow directions and you take a note and you make an adjustment, we're going to be excited to have the director look at your, um, look at your tape and I, try to get you a job. Yeah, I get it. And I really liked how you phrased it that you said you can't recommend the actor move forward if they can't take direction in the room. And I think that's really an yep. important key is obviously the actor wants to come in and present their performance or their idea to you. Um, but we also have to learn how to be open enough to listen and change things on a dime. Yeah. And if you're, if you listen, I can spot the crazy red fire. I can see somebody come into the audition room and I can sense their energy right away. Some casting directors say it's the first two minutes. I say it's the first 10 seconds. Mm. So if you come in and you want to, you, you demand to do scene three first instead of scene one, that's already a problem. Yeah. So that's another reason why I wrote Confessions of a Casting Director because I kept seeing all these actors come into the audition room and ruin their audition with some very basic uh, etiquette things that went wrong or just behavioral things that went wrong. So you know, if you can't follow our directions or how to self-tape and how to properly slate, how can we possibly send you to set with Steven Spielberg or Guillermo del Toro? Like, nobody's going to have time to pay attention to you there. So you got to show us in the audition room that you're hireable and professional and ready to be, be flexible and malleable for what happens, the craziness that happens when you go to set. Fantastic. Can we talk a bit more about your book, Confessions of a Casting sure. Director? So yeah. I researched you a little bit and I saw that you have articles published in many really impressive places. You've New York Post, Huffington Post, you have an ongoing article in Backstage, and then obviously you wrote this book that's getting rave reviews, Confessions of a Casting Director. What was the impetus for writing the book and was it the first time that you really sat down and said okay I'm going to go take this to a publisher and and see what I can do so I was a casting executive at the Walt Disney Company from 2002 to 2007 
And I spent five years in Burbank casting the animated feature films. And then Tom Schumacher, who's head of Disney Theatrical Broadway, moved me back to New York. So while I was at Disney Theatrical in New York, I was going around the country doing open calls for all of our musicals like Mary Poppins and Little Mermaid and Lion King. And while I was on a 10-city, freezing January 2009 trip to find a new aerial for The Little Mermaid on Broadway... I started just taking notes because there were 600 young women that auditioned in 10 different cities and they'd come in with their song and their, their, um, their dress on. And, and I just started taking notes about ways I could offer some guidance. Like that's actually not the right cut of the song that you should sing. You should show us your competitive money notes. You shouldn't necessarily start at the beginning of the song. And that's not a, a dress that maybe um, shows you at your best or maybe that's not the best color. So I started taking all these notes, and I went back to my boss, to Tom Schumacher, and I said, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but you've just written a book, and I want to write a book too, and I really want to help actors because I've just, I, there's no time in the audition room to be able to give the amount of feedback that an actor really needs, and sometimes it is something really simple, like I think you're singing the wrong song cut. So I got his blessing, and Tom said, you know, these are your stories. Write this book. You absolutely must write the book. So I worked on a proposal, and then I got laid off in the recession in 2009, and I laughed because so many of us got laid off mm -hmm. at the time. And I, um, I put the book away for a little bit, and then I turned 40, and my husband, my now husband, took me to Italy, and we were in Italy, and I said, God, you know, Andy, it's how to write this book. It's in my head again. It's, it's in my head and it's the voices are talking to me. So uh, I, I unearthed it from the files and wrote, um, wrote a new proposal and I, I got HarperCollins published it. And it's amazing. that was great. And it's really originally when I pitched it to HarperCollins, I pitched it as a casting director's guide for the modern day stage parent because I'd gotten a little, a little pigeonholed in my, my casting career. Mm -hmm doing New York children's searches. So, so many movies I've worked on, they would hire me to just, just do the New York kids search, which is, again, how I know all the, the girls that auditioned for Lucy. Um, but then, after they bought the book, we all agreed to make it a book for actors of all ages with do's and don'ts and epic audition stories and epic fails and just put all the stage parent stuff into a chapter. So that's what we did. So that's, perhaps there could be a follow-up book just for parents, but I've also seen it all when it comes to parents and want to help. So that's why I was initially pitching that um, version to them. Well, it's funny how things work out, right? So all of a sudden getting laid off, which I'm sure was traumatic, gave you time to refocus your energy on writing the book, which mm -hmm. might have been really split in many direct directions if you didn't have that time. Yeah, I think, well, the first thing I did when I got laid off is I, 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 the next day, got business cards for Jen Rudin casting, and the next day, Disney Channel came to me and asked me to do some of your casting for them, so I suddenly became a consultant for my company, which was mm -hmm. interesting to be a freelance, a freelance contractor for the Walt Disney Company. So I, I started getting work right away, but I also had... You know, your focus on time is different. When you own your own company, your hours are, it's basically 24 hours, but there are moments where you can, as I did with the book, I had to put myself in the library to get my book draft due to HarperCollins, and I had to figure out what were the best hours for me to do that. So when I'm 
when I would go to the library, and I want to give a shout-out to the New York Society Library because that's where Lillian Hellman wrote her plays and Wendy Wasserstein, and my whole family, we've all written our books in this beautiful library on the Upper East Side. I would go to the library from like 9 to about 1 o'clock. And then I'd leave because my phone would start to ring because most of my animation projects are L.A.-based. So I managed to sort of split my time and write the book in the morning, get home, eat lunch, and then begin work for the afternoon. That's a lot more. That's a lot more than I thought. I had this fantasy (laughs) that you got laid off, you went to Italy, and you sat in some cafe with nothing else on your mind for the next two months. But wow, it sounds like you were really busy during that entire process. Funny and Italy, the things you know, things float in my mind. I, I travel so much for work, so some of my best thinking happens on the airplane. And sort of when you're mid mid drift and you're sleeping, or on a red eye when you can't really sleep, but your thoughts are are just your your mind is freer on an airplane. And so I did. I had a lot of time on that flight on the way home to make to make some actual notes. But um, but no, Italy was about you know espresso, shopping, wine. <laughs> How fun whatever order that was. But I'm really proud of the book. I'm, I feel the same way about, it's funny, I'm, I'm, I feel the same way about Lucy, the way I feel about the book, um, an accomplishment. The acknowledgments of my book, I spent a lot of time making sure that I didn't forget to thank anybody. And I have to say the special thanks and the Lucy end credits. We had so many folks that gave uh, their financial support on Seed and Spark, which is a great website for people to know about if you're trying to fundraise for your movie. We had so many people that that, that helped us out, helped me out. And so I spent, you know, I spent a lot of time on those end credits. And of course, you know, uh, making sure everybody's billing was correct, because in casting, certainly all we have is our billing. And same with the actors. Yeah. So this is sort of a a dual idea. I know we can get the book Confessions of a Casting Director on your website and through Amazon and I think Barnes and Nobles and certainly yeah. at Samuel French. Mm-hmm. Where can we see Lucy in the Sky? Ah, so we're actually, I'm flying to San Francisco on Thursday. It's having its West Coast premiere at the San Francisco Indie Film Fest. Mm. So this coming Saturday at 1 p.m. at the Alamo Draft House in San Francisco, we are waiting on some other exciting film festivals, and it will soon be posted um, on the Sloan uh, website, the Science and Sloan website, uh, which is where all of the Sloan-supported films are posted. It's like a library for all of the um, all of the movies, but that's not out yet. Mm-hmm. And you can certainly track us. I mean. LucyInTheSkyFilm.com is the website, and I'm trying to do my hashtag LucyInTheSkyFilm on Instagram because that's what all the kids are doing. Yeah. Our whole cast. Oh, funny. So we will keep you posted. I know that yeah. all of the CSA folks who were voting got to screen it in a private Vimeo link that I can't release. <laughs> right. But you know what? That really must have been a great feeling, too. You put your heart and soul in this, and then to have your peers say, this is worthy of a nomination, if not an award. That's a big deal. Thanks. And I, and I really, I see, I've cast so many projects, and I'm always so proud of the cast. And usually it's because you sweat and you, you, you figure things out, and you're constantly figuring out who's available when, or you're trying to make deals with people. And this was really one of those moments where the cast came together. I have to say, I didn't I didn't cast my, I think I cast Catherine Curtin as my mom first, and then we we decided on our girls because I wanted to see if I could make a family, mm-hmm. you know, what they would look like. But um, but it also, 
the other thing that's really sweet is uh, Quinn McCoglin, who plays Lucy's sister, Rachel. She's a wonderful young actor, and her agent called me after she sent in her self-tape, and she said, Jen, Quinn is bugging me. She, she's, she's in love with this project. All she wants is to be in Lucy in the Sky. Meanwhile, she's, she's taping for five other huge studio movies, but she keeps saying, you know, can you call Jen Rudin and, and make sure she watches my tape? And I've told that story. We had a Q&A. We had a screening at NYU a couple weeks ago and to a sold-out screening of 275 people, and I told that story in front of Quinn and her agent because it was very sweet, you know, because I've gotten, as a casting director, you get those calls all the time when the agent is, we call them, you know, it's like a pitch call. It's like mm-hmm. they're, they're calling and they're, um, they're putting in a plug and, and, and they're, you know begging you to watch their their clients tape but this was really sweet because i've known quinn since she was like seven and so the fact that she she has a a a best friend whose twin brother is on the autism Mm. spectrum so for her it was a very personal reason why she wanted to be in this film and that's the thing when you work on a film that's about something or it's about a uh, a really important um story that needs to be told a lot of the actors i would think all of them came on board because it's an important story and it's also the first time we're seeing a teen girl as the center of the story and yes the whole film is about how it impacts her family but we're seeing it from her perspective and we've only seen atypical and parenthood and the good doctor but those are all from the male the male gaze Mm -hmm. as they say and as we said in grad school and that's G A Z E, the male gaze. <laughs> I <didn't even> thought <laughs> of that. Just to clarify. <laughs> um, I would like, if you still have time, to talk about your casting history because I'm fascinated by the fact that not only have you cast for film and TV, you've also done commercials, animation, theater, and we just learned that you were a former casting executive. That's That's a wide range, and each one of those little side hats that you wear for a different project has a completely different way to cast. I'm so Mm -hmm. curious how you jump back and forth or what the big difference is for you as a casting executive versus the casting director on a project, let's say TV or film. Sure. So I was, um, as I was making my way uh, in my late 20s working in different casting offices, I worked for a casting director who said to me one day, you're really ambitious, you should just go to L.A., you do really well out there. And so after I left that company, I worked on Head of State for Chris Rock, a, a fun move, a fun Chris Rock movie. And the executive, the casting executive from the studio said, yeah, you should come to L.A. and have some meetings. So I, um, I didn't know how to drive a car because I grew up in New York City. Mm-hmm. And I went out to have some meetings, and it was the summer of 2002. And you have to understand that this was, Seth, a year, almost a year after 9-11, and the city was still recovering, and I had no money. I only had New York Times reviews of plays I'd cast at Ensemble Studio Theater, raving about the actors, but I had no—I had not a penny. My rent was high. Taxi cabs back from <laughs> Manhattan to Brooklyn were expensive. Yeah, and I thought, you know, let me just go. So my father gifted me some miles, and he also... My father, Rabbi James Rudin, also an author and a rabbi, he said, listen, you're going to go to L.A. and have these meetings. You can't rent a car. You don't know how to drive. So I'm just going to arrange 
car service for you and you will pay me back if you get a job. And this is 2002, so this is long before Lyft and Uber. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, that's ridiculous, Daddy. I can drive. I have a license. I'll be fine. And he said, no, you don't understand L.A. So, of course, (laughs) I get out there and thank God my father did this for me because I had no idea where you park, what's a a parking structure, (laughs) what's a, a, you know, um, parking validation and the whole thing. So I reconnected with my drama teacher from my childhood acting days, Donna Morong, who was at the time a casting executive at Walt Disney Studios in the feature film department. And she said to me, it's great you're coming. Feature animation is looking for a casting director to cast the voices for the animated features. And I'll set, I'll set you up for some interviews. So six interviews later, I got the job. And at the time, they wanted... At the time, those classic movies like Lion King and Little Mermaid were all voiced by Broadway actors. So they hired me based on the fact that I had a big theater background. Mm-hmm. So I show up, they they move me out there, I, I learn to drive, they give me a rental car, which I put a thousand dings in. <laughs> and I was nervous that they were going to fire me and send me back to New York and the woman the location. She was like, just go get another car at the Burbank Airport, it's <laughs> fine, we have insurance. I got out there, and at the time, Disney was Disney animation was, was changing from uh, 2D to 3D, and we were suddenly in a really competitive Space with DreamWorks and Fox and Warner Brothers and everybody was getting into the animation world, uh, and so it was it was a really interesting time to be there. And um, but the voices are great. I love my, my my true passion is is young talent casting, young actors, and animation. I love animation because it doesn't matter what you look like, and you don't have to get your hair blown out for the audition, and you don't have to do hair and makeup, and it's not about matching what a family might look like. It's about is this the right voice to come out of the skull of the animal, mm. you know, of the squirrel? And so it's a whole different world. And can you tell a story with your voice? And some actors who think they want to do animation may not have the most interesting voice to tell the story. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean they're not good in front of the camera. So that's one of those things I differentiate with. Um, feature films and TV, it's just really about telling a story with your eyes and how the camera likes you. And theater your performance has to get communicated to the people in the back row who have paid all that money mm-hmm. to see you and parked their car and gone to dinner and paid for babysitter. And they need to see your performance and feel what you're doing all the way in the back. So that's a completely different um, world than, you know, film and TV. And they're different and not every actor is facile at all of them. That's important for actors to know. Now, when you were doing the executive work, were you hiring casting directors to do the initial searches and you were approving or were you still doing the, the casting I was work? actually doing the hands-on casting. The only time I hired a casting director was um, for The Princess and the Frog because it was New Orleans in the 1920s and so we hired Finn Cannon and Associates and Mark Finn Cannon and I, we shared when we won the Ardios Award for Princess and the Frog I shared my, my billing with him because he he did the, pre, the pre-round the of, pre um, of searching and prepping and all of that and then I went to New Orleans and did the pre-reads but he, he, he knew all those actors and at the time for, for, for Princess and the Frog we were tapping into Atlanta um, Nashville, Memphis, everybody came to New Orleans to audition, but we were tapping into a, a pool, I mean, you know, a pool of actors I did I just didn't know. So that was great. So yes, location casting directors are really helpful. And most of the time, they have to fight or hopefully they get to share the billing or they get a location casting billing credit. But in general, with The Incredibles and Chicken Little, I did it all in-house 
Giselle in-house, which is different from some casting executive. Most casting executive jobs, you're approving and you're you're negotiating talent deals. But I was I was very much you know going to the Sundance Film Festival, and the, I was a judge at the Aspen Comedy Film Festival, Aspen Comedy Festival, and Montreal Comedy Festival. We would go and you know be there for four days discovering new talent and writing coverage reports through the studio. So that's a lot of executive stuff that you do. Have a lot of lunches, a lot of sushi lunches with agents. How funny. And I bet you're very happy, though, to be back in a place where you are so hands-on and working with the actors in the room, giving the direction. Like it's, I know you did a lot of that still as an executive, but now you get to put aside some of those executive reports that, I don't yeah, think I do. do. But what's interesting is because I've been, because I had seven years at the studio, I totally understand whenever I'm working for a studio, I, I get that. I, I always ask, like, what's the order of the emails and who mm. needs to be on top of the email distribution list? And I get that because of my time at the studio. I understand that there's 25 people that are involved in this casting process. And I think a lot of actors, they, they know that, but it's always good for people to hear that there's the studio, there's the, there's the studio, there's the network. There's a lot of people the showrunner, oftentimes there's a lot of people that are involved in the the casting. And so I think my executive experience comes in handy because I get the whole, I get the politics of the studio. I know what that's like. You want to be included. Nobody ever wants to be out of the loop. And a lot of what we do in casting is these endless status reports with detailed listings on every single actor that had an audition that we tried to get to read and the studios always want to know, you know, why why didn't they come in? So there's a lot of that sort of, I call it the Nancy Drew sleuth work <laughs> that's involved with casting. And that's, my brain is very much wired for those details and I enjoy it, actually. Hey, do you think that we can expect another script from you? Something? That- oh, yes, I yeah, absolutely. I gotta, I'm working on a couple of projects right now. And, um, of course, I can't, you know, speak about it because... Right. Um, everything is a little hush hush, but yeah, I I I am writing. I have to say that some, um, you know, I love watching television. I always I loved it when I was a child. I loved the Brady Bunch and Little House on the Prairie. I love it as a casting director because I love to see people on television, and I love it as a as a writer too because I'm looking at the story structure. But but the casting to me is still so crucial because the whole reason. Yes, we tune into the TV show because of everybody involved if it's a Marvel project or something. But if you if you aren't in love with those actors and you're not rooting for them, then you're not going to watch anymore. So that's why it's so it's so important to get the casting right because that's why we tune in. They're friends in our living room. And these days, they're friends on our phones on the subway. Everybody is watching content on their phones. And so whether or not we want to stay and take the local train because we're so enmeshed in this TV mm-hmm. show or turn it off is really dependent on the actors. So I'm just finishing watching Mad Men again, seven seasons on my phone and when I travel and Don Draper, (laughs) that's it, keeps me watching. That's awesome. Jen, where can we track you or find you on the internet? What are the public sites that you are present on? I am uh, Rudin J on Instagram. Okay. And it's R-U-D-I-N. R-U-D-I-N. <laughs> Excuse me, like Scott, but no relation. Okay. Um, 
Uh, Twitter is, is Rudin Jen. My, I'm actually really active on Facebook. Jen Rudin Casting is active on Facebook, and I know that that's a little bit more where the parents are, that the kids are on Instagram. Um, and I, yeah, I'm really trying to increase the Instagram presence because I know that that's, that's the way that everybody communicates. And I also have JenRudin.com, which is a, a good way to know what's going on. Congratulations on your Ardios nomination for Lucy in the Sky. I am equally impressed that this was your brainchild and you saw it through. And there we have it, another great episode. Thanks to our guests for being so generous. Thanks to you for listening and being a part of this community. This has been brought to you by Obsessed.com. Please check it out for fun videos and updates. And don't forget to find something that you're obsessed with.